I can't get enough of these monsters, and they can't get enough of you. Sightings of monsters are so creepy. Like some of you, I'd love to randomly encounter a ferocious abomination in the middle of the woods while trying to enjoy a hike, but I can't say I'd make it out alive in that encounter. So grab your backpacks and your yodeling boots. We're going on that hike, and we're bound to see the most horrifying monsters this strange world has to offer. Enjoy these allegedly real sightings and stories of mysterious creatures from hikers. If you have a creepy experience that you'd like to share with the world, you can share it with us at darknessprevails.org. The Count's Birdcage, from The Woodsman, location, Poland. I worked a small-time park maintenance and upkeep job a few years back for a local park. It was no Yellowstone, but I grew up there hiking the hills and exploring the forests. When I got offered a job working there, I took it without a second thought even though it didn't really pay well. Just my way of giving back to the park. I have more than a few stories from my time there, trekking about with a shovel and saw for whole days at a time. But my favorite tale comes from a co-worker of mine, who I knew as Michael. Michael had a particular nickname among my fellow crewmen, The Count. This was, as far as I could tell, in reference to his angular European face and dark black hair. The Count was around 50 or so when I met him, and yet he had such love for the forest that he stayed in his part-time volunteer job. The Count was a very kind and gentle man. He would help out with anything you asked, was always kind and compassionate. Of all the things I remember about the Count, one thing that always stuck with me was his love of telling tales of adventures from his home country of Poland. His passion for those stories are part of why I record them and spread them as much as I do today. The Count told, no pun intended, countless stories, and many of them I can recall somewhat. Only one of them has really stuck with me all these years later, and it was the last story he ever told me. The Count was soon to leave his job in this area of the country. He began to tell me one last tale. Like I said, the Count was from Poland, and he moved to the US in 97, following the tragic passing of his girlfriend and his child in 94. Such an event really shook him. I could see the sadness in his eyes when he talked about it in detail, recollecting his story late one night in the maintenance garage. To settle his nerves, Michael relocated to the rural areas of Poland, found himself a small job as a forester, and settled down. The town he had ended up in was very small, with a population of less than 200, shrouded by a deep forest. Michael had worked with a lumber and forestry company that operated out of the village, and was granted a small shared house along with his fellow workers and strict manager. He was by far no stranger to the woods. He had camped and hiked there his entire life. As Michael began to fall into the repetition of his logging job, he found hiking and exploring his work area to be what really helped him ease his mind. He spent countless dark nights alone, roaming the forest in search of answers to his questions, taking solace in the silent trees and bright stars. It was where he felt the safest, where he felt the most relaxed. The Count had mentioned finding odd buildings and structures in the forests before, but never anything like this. He said he remembered the night clear as ever, a crisp fall night full of the chirping of bugs and the sounds of trees, wind blowing through them. He began to walk down the same dirt path that he took nearly every night prior, and when he reached a point where he could break off to explore a new unseen region, he entered into the brush and undergrowth. Most of the night was unremarkable, he said, until around 2 a.m. That's when the trees began to clear away. There, within the open meadow he had never seen before, 
was an ancient, rusting structure. It had a concrete base, rather wide and flat, that lay around the main structure of a silo-sized cage of welded bars. The whole thing was clearly very odd and very old, beginning to collapse, even having several large holes in the frame. Michael was of course interested, and as he began to advance on the cage, the smell hit him. The Count described it as like a rotting animal and vegetables mixed, strong enough to be noticeable from 40 feet away. When he made it to the concrete base of the towering structure, he climbed up and things did not seem right. The floor was stained a dark reddish brown and splotches all over, and large black feathers littered the inside of the cage. Crates and other miscellaneous objects lay strewn about the foundation, all left sitting perfectly, as if they hadn't been left there for years. Michael only took a few steps forward when he accidentally kicked over a small oil can, making a loud and sudden crash. But it soon resonated that the object was not nearly large enough to make that loud of a noise. He began to scan the area with his small light and did not see anything around. He had began to stifle his nerves when he looked up. Perched high above Michael in the upper area of the cage was a massive creature. It was covered with sleek black feathers, and set between its shoulders was a human head. It took the Count more than a few tries to get this out. As he told the story, he was sort of stammering, as if he were reliving the very moment right in front of me. He went on to describe how the thing opened its mouth wide, wider than anything ought to be able to, in order to release a loud bird call. Michael turned and fled, crying out and running back into the trees. He could hear the unmistakable sound of the huge bird leave its position on the structure and flying over the treetops. He fled through the forest, back down his trail, and towards the logging camp. As he broke through the trees in a panic, Michael began to feel woozy and found himself struggling to run. He realized he was about to black out, and right before his vision went dark, he saw his manager exit the front door of the lodge in a hurry, shouldering a weapon and aiming it towards Michael before firing. Michael woke up a day later in his bed. He was alone in the lodge and didn't see any of his co-workers. He examined the area and found a note left on his dresser addressed to him from his manager. I know what you've seen. It's come here before, and I've kept it at bay until last night. For your safety, you're no longer under our employment. Pack your things and vacate. You must never speak of what you saw last night or I will find you. You're best off forgetting that it ever happened. The Count described leaving the same day, faced with stares from his co-workers. He was so shaken. From there he moved home, and after a short while moved to America. When the Count finished the story, I could tell just how upset he was. He was nearly in tears and may have even been shaking slightly. I didn't want him to go on. I could see so much stress in him as he told the story but he kept speaking on that night. I know what I saw that night, he forced out to me in a quiet tone. It's called a Latvik. It's a demon of sorts. At this point, tears rolled down his face. But the demons are... They're the spirits of Okboze. He trailed off in Polish, I told him it was okay. He didn't have to continue. He thanked me for listening to his story, grabbed his toolbox and coat, then he left. But that was the last time I ever spoke to him. What really terrifies me the most about this experience isn't what the Count told me that chilly night in the garage, but what happened soon after. 
I remembered how Michael could not bring himself to tell me what a Latviak was. When I researched it, I knew why. Latviak is a Polish demon of the harmful type, believed to be the souls of lost children and the recently passed. It horrifies me to the core to imagine that what the Count saw that night was the demonic manifestation of his own child. As I said before, I have not spoken to the Count since. I know it's a long shot, but I know he always loved scary stories. So Michael, if somehow this reaches you, I'm so sorry, and I will keep you in my thoughts. Goblin in El Yunque from Rico S. Location, Puerto Rico. This incident happened to my family in the mid-1960s while visiting El Yunque, a national forest in Puerto Rico. This story is the reason why, if I ever decide to visit El Yunque or any forests for that matter, I will act very, very cautious. I'll start with my grandmother. Since my grandmother was a child, she always wanted to visit El Yunque. It was famous for its pristine waterfalls and for being the largest nature reserve in the island of Puerto Rico. Years later, after she was married to my grandfather, they took a trip with my dad, who was then a teenager, along with my aunts and my second cousins. After a great day of hiking and bathing in the springs, my second cousin Myra, who was about four at the time, was playing near the hiking trails that left the spring El Baño. My grandmother happened to look her way when she noticed a small humanoid thing staring at my cousin from behind a bush. My grandmother said the hideous creature made eye contact with her. My grandmother was startled and screamed at everyone to get my cousin Myra. My father jumped at my grandmother's sudden reaction, then looked to where she was pointing and saw the humanoid creature as well. It suddenly ran away, disappearing into the forest, but my father gave chase. Though smaller, the creature ran much faster than him and soon parted through the brush and disappeared. He mentioned that the thing left a trail of pushed-over plants and broken vegetation. My grandmother then quickly told everyone to pack up. They left El Yunque and never went back. I asked my grandmother what the creature looked like. She said it was small, humanoid, and brown in color. It had a garment-like thing of brown leather attached to it. Its face had a sinister look. It was scheming and wicked. The thing is, El Yunque is known for lots of disappearances and plenty of mysterious events. These days, I don't really have an interest in visiting the place, as my friends who have gone there have told me it's a very solitary and eerie place. Could Dragons Be Real? From Sad Hanzo, Maine. Location, Oregon. About a month ago, I went with a group of friends from college to go hiking in the Cascade Mountains in Oregon, right in the Crater Lake National Park area. The trip through the mountain ranges was fun and quite the workout. Toward the end of our little vacation, we decided to cross through the Crater Lake area to take in the view and see the blue waters for ourselves. We arrived in the lake area late in the day and decided to set up camp close to the lake shore. That night, the six of us had a great time, talking, sharing stories. Other than a scare from some two curious possums looking for food, the night was relaxing, and soon we all went to sleep, exhausted from the long day's trek. Around sunrise, we began waking and preparing our meal for the coming day. As we sat around our campfire, eating in the early dawn light, we began hearing a whooshing sound, followed by the sound of trees rustling. We all went quiet, 
We were looking around when a large shadow fell upon our group as a massive creature flew overhead. As the creature flew by us, I took in the features I could see. It looked to be about the size of one of those mid-sized lair jets. It had two massive wings, four legs, and a long tail that had what looked like fins about midway down its length. Its neck was long, but not serpentine, and its head was at least the size of a large car. It flew off towards the lake, more so towards Wizard Island, but instead of landing on the island, it dove straight into the water. It took a good moment for our group to recover from the shock and fear of what we had just seen, but soon we were packed and moving swiftly to get out of that park. As we walked, we were silent, no one wanting to put words to what we saw. Not 15 minutes after setting out, the sound of something breaking through the surface of the water and a loud screech resounded, echoing from the direction of the lake and through the forest. It was terrifying. Most of our group immediately threw themselves into the tree line to hide. Logan, the oldest of the group, and I just stood there, transfixed in awe and fear as that creature burst from the surface of the lake, taking off once again into the air, then flying off to the other side of the lake until it was out of sight. After our group left and parted ways, I went home and looked up dragon sightings in the area, but I didn't find a thing. Maybe it was a group hallucination. Maybe it just happened to be the world's biggest bird that we all mistook for something different. Either way, if you're planning on going out to the Crater Lake area of Oregon, keep your eyes on the sky. My Encounter with the Jersey Devil from Silverwolf69, location, New Jersey. I've been interested in hiking for a long time. After middle school, I actually had more time to do that than less, even with high school work. During the break, I visited one of my friends in New Jersey for his 16th birthday. His parents got him a new camera with night vision and video recording capabilities so I suggested that we test it out. More than any other place, he wanted to go to the Pine Barrens. It's so dark and tree-covered, he said. I can really see how good this thing works there. I agreed with him, and I followed him in. Now, I wish I hadn't. That afternoon, I kept hearing twigs snapping and branches moaning or creaking, leaves rustling around us, I brought each occurrence up to my friend, who insisted that it was just the wind and the effects of the earth settling, or small animals like chipmunks. Considering he had lived in the state his whole life, I figured he knew what he was talking about. As we continued to go deeper into the woods, I kept getting the strange feeling like I was being watched. I remember joking, I hope it's not Bigfoot. But instead of a laugh, my friend replied by stopping and turning to look at me. I asked him what the problem was, and he replied, Bigfoot isn't here. This is Jersey Devil territory. I realized then that this was probably why he suggested the Pine Barrens after all. He wanted to catch a glimpse of the devil itself. At the time, I was really into cryptozoology and the supernatural. I carried this little book full of different creatures and urban legends. I pulled it out and remembered a page that had the Jersey Devil on it, along with an illustration, one that was too bizarre to be anything more than someone's imagination. I showed it to him. Oh, come on, do you really believe that a creature like this exists? He was about to answer, but stopped when he began staring at something behind me. He quickly whipped out his camera and tried to record it, but he said he missed it. He told me to follow him so he could find out what it was. As soon as the two of us took off, I heard something overhead again. I looked up, but I did not see whatever made the noise. My friend was really starting to freak out too. At the time, I was creeped out, but I was sure that we had just spooked ourselves from the prior conversation. 
but we then saw something unlike anything we'd ever seen before. It was seven feet tall and skeletal, hardly any flesh on its bones. Even the wings were like thin bones. It was perched atop one of the bare trees, looking down at us like it was curious. Suddenly, my friend screamed and took off faster than I'd ever seen him run before in the opposite direction. Without a word, I followed. I heard a strange call from behind me, but I dared not look back. As soon as we reached the edge of the Pine Barrens, we saw two people entering and immediately told them, that's not a good idea. They turned around and left, taking our warning or just being creeped out by a couple of kids being out of breath and coming running out of the forest. I don't go to New Jersey much anymore, but if I ever pass the Pine Barrens again, I'll know there's something in there. Something not natural, and it's waiting and watching. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at The Thing on the River. From Here Comes That Boy. Location Unknown. You should always be careful when you go camping. It was late April. My grandfather and I were going camping on the river. We took his boat, which was an airboat with a six cylinder Lycoming engine and a 12 foot hull. We got to the campsite, which was just an island on the river. We called the place Shell Island because there were loads of snail shells. We set up camp and got finished at around 11 a.m. We decided to go riding the river. When we got back, it must have been around 6 p.m. We stayed up in the tent until about 8 p.m. Then we got back in the boat and grabbed the frog gigs and put on our lights. We gigged frogs until about 12 a.m., then we headed back to camp. At around two or three, I was awakened by movement outside. I looked over to my grandfather, who was beside me. He was sound asleep, so it wasn't him. Now, this was a very isolated island. You either get here by boat or hike about 80 miles, so we had to have been the only campers here. I knew deep down that this was no person, because I would have heard the boat come to shore. But listening more closely, whatever it was didn't even sound like a person. It was walking on hooves instead of feet, and no deer was as big as this thing was. It sounded like it was 600 pounds. We were in Florida, 
and the biggest deer I've ever seen personally was 200 pounds tops. As for bears, they don't have hooves. I quietly tried to look through the tent. I made out a shape that was something on two legs, but compared to a person, its joints were backwards, like a cat's or cow legs, and it stood quite tall, about nine or ten feet. Suddenly, it turned its head towards me, looking at my face through the opening of the tent. My heart sank when I saw its eyes. They were sort of glowing white. I zipped back up the flap, laid back down, and pretended to sleep. I prayed that that creature was not here for us. When morning came, I dragged my grandfather out of the tent to show him the prints on the ground. He seemed perplexed, and he didn't really say anything, but we left early that day. I think both of us were quite spooked. Something in the Snow From Tatiana Location, Switzerland My family and I live in Lochendal, a relatively isolated side valley in the canton of Valais, Switzerland. As of recently, we've had an abundant amount of snow cutting off the entire valley from any civilization. This apparently happened quite often back in the day, and was always a reason for some scary stories to originate. My father had been trapped outside due to not being able to leave work as they announced that the road was going to close. Luckily, I was allowed to leave my gymnasium during a Latin exam, which is usually not the case. So thanks to whoever convinced our principal to let us go, I would catch the last train that was going to be allowed passage. So it was just my mother, 12-year-old sister, and me at home, an all-female household, for now at least. A few days later, the first supply helicopter arrived, and I was to go down into the village to get our share of it. I had to go because my sister was too young and my mother's knee was acting up again. It would probably be worth it to mention that we live a bit outside the village, and the walk down would take about an hour. All of that in knee-deep or even hip-deep snow at some points. So I went down into the cellar to get the snowshoes, to make it at least a bit easier to walk. I emptied my school backpack so I'd have something to carry our stuff back in, then put on my snowwear and snowshoes. Off I was. The first three quarters of the hike were pretty uneventful. I could already make out the smoke coming from the village, and to my delight, the street was cleaned from here on out. I was glad to finally be able to walk without snowshoes again, I looked back up the way I came down just moments ago and saw something that resembled a chakata, hip deep in snow. A chakata is something that is kind of a tradition here around carnival. Single men would wear fur and a scary looking mask, then go around smearing people's faces with coal. I thought it was just some guy pulling a prank on me at first, so I continued walking looking over every so often to see the Chagata come closer and closer. That's when I saw it. Eyes, nose, and mouth of what I presumed to be a mask, but they were moving. If it was a mask, they definitely should not be able to move, as usually Chagata masks were wooden. This freaked me out. I began to walk faster, casting sidelong glances to check if it was still following me. And it was. It was gaining on me, getting closer steadily, too close for comfort. Even though it was half submerged in snow, it was keeping pace and gaining. I needed to get away from it. I started running, and as soon as I broke into a sprint, I could hear snow crunching hard behind me. I didn't dare look back. I knew that it was pursuing me. It was a struggle just to keep from falling on my face on the slippery road. I heard a terrifying sound from behind me, a growl or yelp of some kind. It didn't sound happy that I was getting away from it. I sprinted all the way down to the village, ignoring everything around me, never even thinking about my stamina. 
Somehow, I reached the place they were handing out the supplies, and only then did I stop. I guess I felt safe with other people around. I fell to the ground, gasping for air before pulling myself together again and retrieving our share of things, though I did not for the life of me want to walk home alone. Luck was on my side now, as I caught sight of my father's friend, Yosef, who just so happened to be the one clearing the snow from the street. I was able to hitch a ride from him. The normal 60-minute hike was reduced to a three-minute drive, and I was indefinitely grateful. I still am not sure of what I saw. Was it just a tasteless prank, or something more sinister? Samudiva Siding 2 From Alexander Location, Bulgaria I shared a story with you all in 2016 about the spirits called Samodiva. That was back in October of 2016. But now I have a second experience about them. This happened just a few days ago. My friends and I usually do a nighttime mountain hike to two peaks of a mountain in Bulgaria. The peaks are a few kilometers apart. There's nothing between them but natural plain with tall grass, bushes, and a few forested areas. Just after the first peak, there's an old cottage where an old man acts as a rescuer for hikers in distress. He's a spry old dog who walks faster than us, even in his 70s, and we, by the way, are in our mid-20s. Me and the two of my friends reach the first peak at around 11 p.m. It's 1,800 meters above sea level and is completely covered by large boulders. It overlooks a city and we reveled in the beauty of the city lights for about an hour. Then we ate and continued down the mountaintop, now towards the higher 2,300 meter peak, which was five kilometers ahead of us. We walked for about 40 minutes when we reached the cottage, but unlike before, there was no one in it. The lights were out and the door was shut. Strange, we thought. The old man is here all the time. What's going on? Out of nowhere, we heard the agonizing cry of an injured animal. The heck was that? One of my friends asked. I don't know. We should keep going, the other replied. I think we should just stay here for now. Whatever's causing that noise, I don't want to be outside and meet it, I insisted. But my argument lost. After a few minutes of discussion, we continued to our destination on foot. If only they'd listened. We came across the side of the noise we heard, but it wasn't just one animal. There were rabbits, coyotes, birds, and rodents all over, just piled up, all with the same finger-wide wounds in their rib cages. Guys, I think we should go downhill to the resorts, I said. Agreed, the two of them said in unison. All of a sudden, I felt an arm on my face and I jerked it away from me, turning around. It was just the old man, but his face was white and his eyes were wide open. He put a finger to his mouth to shush us and pointed to the direction of the forest. We saw four of the creatures that I had talked about so long ago. My heart sank. I remember thinking, not again. My friends saw them too as I watched their jaws drop. What in the world are those? One of them asked. We need to move, now, I screamed. We were picking up speed when we noticed that the old man was hurt. My friends picked him up and started walking quickly to the cottage. Then we heard them. They sounded like an old woman's laugh and a scream just after it, and I could hear footsteps in the snow. We ran, faster than we ever had before, but one of my friends fell over, stumbling upon a rock. I turned around, ready to rescue my friend and face them, and immediately, I heard an echoing voice. I think it was in my head, but I know it was coming from them, the Samodiva. I froze and didn't hear my friends yelling at me. 
I don't know how, but we were already at the cottage. I stared at them, wide-eyed, frozen in my position. My hand was shaking. They opened the door, and one of my friends pulled me by the shoulder inside. We got in, locked the place down, and covered the two windows with pieces of furniture. I sat down on the floor and realized that I had soiled myself. The Samodiva were outside the entire night, pushing, clawing, hitting at the walls and the doors. We didn't get a wink of sleep that night, and we left midday the next day, terrified. We're never going to those mountains again. Voices in the Snow from Bruce Location, Idaho This story begins on my walk home from my best friend's house. We live deep in the mountains of Idaho, where each home can be up to five miles apart. It was late December, and even though I was walking on the road, the snow was several inches deep and falling steadily. In order to get to my house, I had to hike through the dense forest for almost two miles. It was around seven in the evening, so the sky had fallen dark, leaving the only light to be reflecting off the snow. My friends and I have hiked these trails for years and are extremely familiar with it, even in the dark. After cutting off the old logging road and into the dark forest, I began to hear heavy footfalls coming from the hauler off to my right. Thinking it was just some woodland critter, such as a deer or a moose, as they are heavily populated in this area, I thought nothing of it and kept on my way. Although the footsteps still followed, keeping pace with me as I headed up the mountain towards my home, I began to feel as if eyes were watching my every move from behind the tall pines lining the trail. After living here so long, I knew that no wild animal would take this much interest in a person, so I began to quicken my pace. That's when the deep, muffled voice came from the dark. Hello? With confusion, I left the trail to try and see if there was someone who needed help just out of eyesight. I called out to it. Is someone there? However, I was left with just silence. Hoping it was just the wind and a trick of my mind, I made my way back to the trail. Thumping footsteps continued to follow my every step, forcing me to quicken my pace again. Suddenly, the snap of a large tree branch forced me to stop. I turned around and I tried to find what had made the noise. That's when I saw the furry, black hands reaching around from behind a small tree. The figure stood seven feet tall and easily overtook the mass of the tree. I blinked repeatedly to make sure my eyes weren't playing tricks on me. I took two steps back, and the creature in response took a step in my direction. Its long arm came out away from its body, with its palm up like a person does to greet a dog. I quickly screamed, then turned to sprint up the rest of the trail to my house, where I then quickly ran inside, slamming and locking the door behind me. I was too afraid to check the windows. I was home alone at the time, so I quickly ran to my parents' empty bedroom to grab a flashlight. I made my way to the balcony on the top floor of the three-story home. I made my way to the railing, then I shone the flashlight in the direction of the trailhead, easily seen from the north side of the house. Immediately, dark yellow eyes reflected back through the darkness. I screamed at it to go away but the creature only moved from behind the forest to the edge of the tree line, where its full mass could be seen reflecting in the flashlight's beam. My body froze with complete terror as my eyes adjusted to see the full grin and rows of teeth of this monster. With a grin on its face, it turned its large back on me and walked slowly and confidently into the forest, disappearing into the dark. I walked back inside, locked the doors in my parents' room, and eventually passed out. I never walked that trail alone at night again. Even to this day, I still feel those yellow eyes peering at me from the darkness, 
whenever I have to walk even a few yards out to the barn to feed the horses. Return of the Bubba Jacks from J.M. Location, Ohio. It's found me again, the creature that I encountered six years ago. I'm 25 years old and live in Ohio near the border of West Virginia. My house is a few blocks from the main road, secluded in the middle of a dense forest. When I was 19, I encountered a creature that I call the Bubba Jacks, and I lost a good friend of mine. Now, six years later, that monster has found me. It started when I heard voices coming from the woods at night, or rather Jonah's voice, the voice of the friend who I assume was taken by the Bubba Jacks. But the voice was hollow and not like the voice I remember. At first, I thought I was going crazy, but then the sounds came from below my bedroom window. After the first incident, I checked my front door camera. I couldn't see anything but darkness. The only odd thing was a bit of glinting to the right of the video, maybe one of two huge white eyes, or maybe I'm being paranoid. I called my friend Seth, who knew of my first encounter. I told him that it was back, and I told him we were going on a bit of a hike. Later that day, Seth met me outside my house, armed. We sat outside all night, hoping to see something, but saw nothing. Even Jonah's voice stayed quiet. The following day, I decided to check the porch camera again. What I saw terrified me. I saw me and Seth walking around outside, basically patrolling but I saw a very tall and dark silhouette. It stood in the corner and seemed to watch us. I called Seth and I told him we need to go again, but he was flying out of the country that day, so I would be alone that night. I stayed close to the house with the porch light on so I could see anything that tried to sneak up on me. About an hour in, I heard a rustle in the bushes, followed by struggling noises and a pained cry. I ran into the trees, gripping my weapon tightly. I ran fast for a few seconds, then slowed as I realized that I could be taking the bait. It was too late. I had already come up on a small clearing, and I saw the thin frame of that creature. Its back faced me as it knelt before a fresh prey. It didn't notice me as it tore away at its flesh. I was too afraid to turn my back on it and run. So I aimed at it. I fired, but it went clean through the shoulder. The Bubba Jack stopped. It made no movement, no sound. It was entirely still. Then it slowly turned its head to face me, still knelt on the ground. Its eyes glimmered, and red flowed from its mouth. It stared at me, a low growl erupting from its throat. It stood and continued to stare, then it brought up its huge black hands and showed me its palms. Carved into each of them was a symbol. And then it faded from my sight, like a transitioning photo in a slideshow or something. I was going mad, wasn't I? A week later, during the day, Seth and I were out hunting in the same forest. He had just come back from his trip. We hiked in very deep and noticed something was off about the trees. We realized then that they were in rows like they had been planted, but we were so deep in the forest that it didn't seem likely that they belonged to a company, but we had no idea who would come out here and plant trees in rows like this. I do not know if the planted trees had anything to do with the Bubba Jacks, but it was definitely odd. I'll be moving soon, and hopefully... I no longer have to deal with this. For our final story, it's another blast from the past, a tale I shared with you in 2017 that more than likely you haven't heard yet. Enjoy Long Walks from Lola E. I live in Portland, and as some of you may know, 
There are loads of great hiking trails in our city. I enjoy walking them on lonely nights to get some peace of mind. It can be a stress reliever. I especially like the trails by small rivers. I mean, listening to the rushing of water can intensify that feeling of serenity, that feeling you get when you're alone in the woods. About a year back, I decided I wanted to hike one of those trails. I had gotten into an argument with my boyfriend and I needed to do something to put my mind at ease. I was 22 at the time. Before that night, I had walked the trail I was going to plenty of times and nothing ever happened, nothing out of the ordinary that is. Despite knowing this, I always brought a pocket knife with me just in case. I can be a very paranoid or cautious person. Let me try to describe the entrance of this trail. It's been about a year since I've been there, so my memory might be a little rough. There's a lot of grass, a huge open clearing surrounded by woods. Behind you are a bunch of houses, and above you is an old rusty green bridge. There's some kind of modern art-inspired statue on the right of the pathway that leads to the trail. At the time, I believe it was nine or 10 o'clock at night. I was almost excited to get lost in the sounds and sights of the woods that night and I began to walk down the trail alone. My destination was the old stone house-like structure located close to the top of the trail. Some people call it the witch's hut. I know that's what I called it when I was a kid. It was covered in graffiti and moss, and the inside smells like pee. After 10 or 20 minutes of walking at a fast pace, I reached the building. Nothing strange had happened up until that point but I did have this overwhelming feeling of being watched. I caught myself constantly looking back as I walked the trail, but I never heard anything odd aside from the occasional hooting of an owl. I hadn't seen anything particularly odd either. I sat on a log outside the witch's hut and behind me was a drop-off covered in bushes and vines and at the bottom was a small river. I had been facing the hut before I whipped around startled by a sudden rustling noise that came from below. I looked down, squinting at the river below me, and I kid you not, something came darting out of the bushes from one side and into a bush on the side closest to mine. I didn't know what the heck that thing was, but it somehow managed to scale the cliff in a split second, and I watched it dart around the back of the hut. This all happened so fast, I didn't even have time to react my heart felt like it was about to explode out of my chest. I could barely make out any of the thing's features and I didn't think I really wanted to. My flight instinct kicked into high gear as I sprinted away down the trail. It sounded like there was a second pair of smaller, lighter footsteps in rhythm with my own. This boosted my adrenaline by 10 times or so. My body couldn't keep up that running for much longer. I hadn't heard the footsteps for a few minutes and I decided to stop and turn around. And that was a huge mistake. Whatever that thing was, it was sitting on a decaying tree stump, staring at me in complete silence. It sat like a dog, but it had the body of a human. Its elbows bent outwards, and it had no hands. Its eyes were two tiny close-together yellow dots, and its head was small and oval, it had no hair, and it was a deep purple color. I felt like I was staring at it, and it was staring at me for hours. Neither of us moved a muscle. It was so crazy and terrifying, I honestly thought I had been imagining things, until it freaking blinked. I finally regained my common sense, and I turned the other way and bolted. I don't think I had ever run that fast in my whole life. When I reached the bottom of the trail, I didn't stop running, heck no. I leapt into my car and rolled up all the windows and I stared at that thing one last time. And before my windows were up, I heard the thing hoot, like an owl, just like the owls I had heard on the way to the witch hut. Then this creature turned around and leapt back into the woods and then there was a flash of white light that came from the forest and then a low humming noise it was like nothing I'd ever heard of before. Needless to say, I didn't stick around to find out what it was. I haven't told this story to many in fear that they'll think I'm crazy or something. I honestly don't know what that thing was. It was almost otherworldly. 
owl creature or whatever you were. Let's not meet again. If you need some peace and quiet and want to clear your mind, then anything but a hike would probably be better. Because hiking's more for those people who really want to be devoured by something big and hairy out in the middle of the woods. If that's not what you're looking for, then hiking isn't for you. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. If you want to submit your story, share it with us at darknessprevails.org. If you'd like to support the show, go to teespring.com stores darknessprevails to browse our merchandise. Or just click the shop button below the video if you're on YouTube. Or think about donating at patreon.com darknessprevails. Now, as usual, here are my five favorite early comments from the previous video about five Native American monster sightings. Jose Chavez says, Te amo papi. First, don't put me into top five. Well, that's too bad, Jose. You've earned it. Liz Santiago says, The scary part is I'm directly related to a Native American chief, and I still can't resist these kinds of videos. If anything, you should be extra excited compared to the rest of us. I mean, if my favorite narrator was doing five crazy redneck monster sightings, I'd be all over it. Hashtag heritage. Sarah Smith says, Yes, my dude, just came off of a Let's Read livestream for you. I'm humbled. But don't tell Let's Read, because he could get jelly. Kingflex305 says, Can I have some turkey? Sure thing, but something tells me if I give you turkey, you're going to be eating your own kind. Yeah, turkey. And Black Wolf Mora says, Hey, I'm Native American, and my grandfather was a shaman. I'm one in training. That's the most interesting job description I've ever heard on this channel. Sounds like it would definitely beat a desk job. Good luck. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. <laughs>